Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week, the week of May 29th, rolling into June. Monday is Memorial Day, a day that we reflect, a day that we think of our service members uh, here and abroad, protecting our freedoms and allowing us to do what we do at home. And uh, for that, I am grateful for those that serve and protect my freedom. Thank you. I appreciate all of you, and we'd love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to use the email at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're serving overseas or domestically here within our country, protecting our borders and freedoms. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hear where you are, what you do, where you're stationed. Um, I think it'd be great. We'd love to share some of those stories. So don't be afraid to reach out. Anyway, this week, all new episodes by National Fire Radio. Some great heavy hitters. Some very powerful episodes will be coming out as well as a new episode from The Size Up on this Tuesday. So thanks for tuning in as always. Please do me a favor and give our sponsors a quick listen before we roll into the daily episode. Hey guys, before we start the podcast, real quick, I want to mention the Gone to Texas Fire Forum and Expo being held in Arlington, Texas on June 9th and 10th. Myself, I'm going to be emceeing the event for two days with nationally renowned speakers that will be there for the weekend. Mo Davis, Clyde Gordon, Rick George, Mickey Farrell, Jacob Johnson, Dennis Riley, and so on. The list goes on and on. I was there last year, helped emcee the event last year. It is a growing conference in an incredible venue globe life field which is home to the texas rangers in arlington texas right in the entertainment district right at the pbr bar which we're going to have a social after the first night i'm telling you right now there's no other venue like this the room actually overlooks the field you get to walk the stadium it is such a cool venue arlington texas june 9th and 10th check them out go on to texasfireforum.com or go to facebook and look them up there too go on the texas fire forum where you can buy your tickets get great hotel rates if anybody's asking you where you're going this summer you tell them gone to texas this episode's brought to you by taylor's tins taylor and his crew at taylor's tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 tins in the market they are a leader in the helmet front space Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. This is a fellow I've met. Several, several times now. I, I consider us friends, even though I only see him maybe once, twice a year. He's from the other side of the country, which is like a whole different world to me. Uh, we were talking about that before. Uh, I want to welcome Battalion Chief Eric Hankins to the show. Eric, what's up, brother? 
How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I almost called you chief, and I know how well that goes over with you. You know, <laughs> even last night when I texted you, like, knock off the chief shit, and I'm like, all right, brother, you got it. So, is that because I mean, listen, man, well deserved promotion, obviously, but like, I know you're a fireman. Like, do you love being a fireman? I I do, I do. Um, it's it's definitely you know one of the highlights of my life, and uh, I just I can't get enough of it. And, you know, the whole, the whole chief thing to me, is just, it's surreal. You know, I still feel like I'm a young kid and, uh, can't believe that I'm a chief officer <laughs> now. And it's just still after, you know, several years, it, it's, it doesn't seem real to me. So sitting when people in, call me sit- chief outside of my department, it, it's kind of takes me back a little bit. I get it. I get it. But listen, man, 30 years in the fire service, 23 years with the, uh, Uba city, uh, city of Yuba city. California, right? Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Currently a battalion chief, like we said. But I'll say this: I, I gotta think though, when you're a when you're a, when you're a guy that likes to be in the game, when you like being a fireman, when you still like getting your hands wet, and we're gonna talk about training and all those other things that you're into. Um, you know, you're still stretching lines on those training grounds and teaching. You know, moving that nozzle forward and uh, you know, and spraying water. I mean, you're a big engine company guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's gotta be hard to sit in that car, man. <laughs> it is. It's tough. It's tough. And my chief reminds me of it all the time. Yeah. But what is that? I got to think, though, that's got to be fun for you, too, because you know then what's happening on the fire ground because you were very, you're very much a hand, you were a hands on fireman, hands on company officer. And now you're in that battalion chief's position where it's basically your sandbox, right? So it's like when, yeah. you, when you used to get to play hands on, now you're kind of the guy that's allowing them to play, but it, it gives you, you have a very good perspective of what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you like about the battalion chief spot over that company position or being that fireman? Like there's got to be a couple things that you're like, you know what? This is cool. Whether it's as simple as like just the car, the, the independence, the, you know, like what, what about that job? What do you like about that job? You know what? There's, there's a lot of things, Jeremy. Um, probably the biggest one is just the satisfaction of seeing all the pieces that we worked so hard to train on over the years. Um, come to fruition on an incident where, you know, we, we talk about things, we, we train for things. And then all of a sudden we, we put them to use on a real incident. It, and it usually, you know, usually, um, has a successful outcome. And I, I like to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like to share my experience with others and being in the battalion chief role, it's just, you know, that much easier to affect change. You know, I, I truly believe even the, the newest firefighter can affect change, right? By their attitude and their, um, their commitment, but each, each rung in the ladder that you climb, it's just that much easier to affect change. You know, now at the chief rank, I, I, you know, I work with management and administration to, uh, to help write policy and, and change policy and stuff like that. And, um, things that are just not as easy when you're, you know, a backstep fireman. Yeah, and you know what I love, too, just thinking about that? I, I have never put my mind to that before, but as you were talking about that, like the battalion chief spot is a very interesting position, right? Because it really is that bridge between the firehouse and, and headquarters, right? Meaning you're, you're a white shirt, you're wearing gold, but you still are very much in the trenches with the men and women, but you're also then relaying their 
their issues back up the line to the admin people that you're usually one step away, you know, one step uh, removed from the fire ground. Correct. Yeah, we're definitely a liaison between administration and line staff. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be fun because, like, what you're saying, though, that's the position that allows you to make a lot of change. Like, there's yeah. things that you experience coming up through the line, things you experience as a company boss, and now you get to that battalion chief's position, and you're like, these are the things that irk me, and I know they irk the men and women. Maybe we can affect some positive change here. That's the position, I think, where you have the most horsepower to get that stuff done. Absolutely. That's cool. So give me a little bit of background about yourself. I mean, your fire service started before Yuba City. Um, you mentioned uh, to me before we started recording that you grew up in a firefighter household. Your father was a, a longtime volunteer firefighter. Talk to me about that upbringing, man. What did that look like for you, and what did it do to you to where you got to today? Well, you know, I grew up in a really small town, uh, the community of Meridian, a population of about 400 people. Wow. Um, my, <laughs> my dad my dad did 34 years as a volunteer with that organization. That's cool. Um, Truly neighbor, truly neighbors helping neighbors. Absolutely. Right. 400 town population of 400. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And before, but when I first started hanging out at the firehouse regularly, they had just gone to their first paid fireman Mm. type model, which was a one guy Monday through Friday, eight to five kind of an officer, most of which they, they, they went through a couple of them, most of which were volunteers from other departments that were working ambulance jobs or doing this, that, or the other. And for the most part, you know, a department that small, they only run 150 calls a year back sure. then. Um, so realistically, they would come out, they would clean the station, they would do truck checks, stuff like that. And then sometimes they just rack out because they were working nights on the ambulance or something. Got it. Um, so I was that snot nosed kid that would come and hang out at the fire department and keep them awake all day, which they just absolutely <laughs> loved. Um, I bet. and you know, they had a, they had a morning coffee crew where the old timers would come in and have coffee and hang out. And, um, yeah, you know, I just, the, the department at the time did not have any type of cadet program. You had to be 18 to start, but here I was 15 hanging out almost every single day after school. Um, if I wasn't working, I was hanging out there. I did, you know, I did the usual high school kid stuff, but didn't do a ton of partying, didn't go screw around a whole bunch. Right. Um, I, I wanted to be at the fire department. And then one day when I was about 15 and a half, one of the old timers who really didn't like going on EMS calls um, showed up for an EMS call. He goes, get in, we're going. Nice. And I'm like, well, you know, kind of stammered, stuttered. And he yep. goes, get in the damn rig. So I jumped in and that was my first call. And shortly thereafter, the department modeled their cadet program after uh, one of the neighboring agencies. And um, on my 16th birthday in June, I was officially on the books and running calls, you know, pretty well full time. There was a a point where I was running calls and I still didn't have my driver's license. So I was physically running to the fire station at night or during the day or whatever. I love it about five blocks away and oh town of 400 it's either very spread apart or very close together right so, yeah, yeah yeah no we were pretty fortunate so yeah. it wasn't that long of a, a run but um you know winded and out of breath sure and 
Tell them we're responding on the radio. Yeah, give me a couple blocks yeah, right. to catch my breath. Yeah, Boston exactly. That's uh, funny. But that's got to be, like, I think about that, the old-timer. It's so valuable for when, when kids really get invested into it and they hang around. And the, the people that are there, they see their worth, and they say, this kid wants to be here. And then that old-timer said to you, you know, granted he didn't want to do the EMS runs, but, man, that moment, I'm sure when he said get in, your heart probably skipped a beat, right? Oh, absolutely. All that and, ho- and yeah, the, go ahead. The funniest thing about it, Jeremy, is the old-timer that said that was probably one of the saltiest, yeah. grumpiest. I love it. Most of the guys in the fire department hated him. Yep. Most of the community hated him. Yep. And to me, at that point, he was my hero. You know, yeah. I mean, he, I, I didn't necessarily agree with him all the time, but he he's the one that went out on a limb and stood up to the fire chief and said, the kid's here all day, every day anyway. You might as well put him to work. I love that. That's cool. Talk to me a little bit. You mentioned the coffee club, which I think in the volunteer fire service, I mean, I know it, it happens every morning at the career tables, right? But in the volunteer fire service, when you get that coffee club that hangs around, what did that do for you in setting the stage for your future in the fire service? Like, did you take such value in just sitting back and listening to the stories and the, and the, uh, and the ongoings of the coffee club? Like how important was that to you? If you, if I'm being honest, yeah, they, they showed up at five o'clock. Um, you know, it's a, it's a rural ag community. I got it. Um, and a lot of the, the coffee club, might not have even been active in the fire department anymore. It was seven it. or eight different guys that would show up and we hated them because really? they'd come in with their muddy boots. Nah. They, they'd <laughs> knock all the mud off on the, on the linoleum floor. They, yeah. You know, so we would screw with them all the time. They, they hated a certain type of folding chair. So we put all their folding chairs away and bring in the, the old one. I mean, typical, That's fantastic, typical firehouse. Shit, 100%. Right? I mean, yeah. Um, Looking back now, 30 plus years later, God, what an asshole I was. Yeah. But, but at the time, you know, it was just, um, I didn't interact with them too much okay. because honestly, 15 year old kid, no way you're getting me up at 5 a.m. to come down to the firehouse. It's just not happening, you know. Got it. Um, but a lot of the guys that were part of it, I grew to become very good friends with over the years. And, you know, our families grew up in the same community, so we all knew each other very sure. well. Sure. And I knew they were cussing us just as much as we were cussing them. So it was kind of a little back and forth. Yeah, I got it. Good guys, really good guys, you know. I love, though, the, um, you know, the small town aspect, right? Like, I, I know, like, growing up in my town, too, where I volunteer, right? Smaller town, it's grown over time. And, um, you know, my family, my father, you know, laid the foundation and groundwork to give back to the community. And that was through volunteering in the fire department. And then he did some other things too. But my brothers and I all followed suit. And it was that small town pride, that civic responsibility of giving back to our community. And and I think that that does such a big thing for, for families that are rooted in communities. And I know we were talking before we hit record that where you are today in, in Yuba City you live in the community that you work. And so yeah, absolutely. So there's got to be a lot of that civic pride that still exists probably from your early days, no? No, there, there definitely is. There definitely is. Um, you know, I, I try to do as much with the community as I can. Um, I've been a little less active in the last couple of years, but, you know, from United Way campaign, American Cancer Society, local fundraisers, um, you know, I try to give back to the community that's given me so much over the years. Um, 
there's definitely some people in this community that do far more than I do, uh, and I'll never compare to those guys. But um, but I mean, yeah, just I, even I, just even driving around in the Chiefs buggy when you're you know oh, I'm going to take the long way back to the station, right, and just drive through absolutely. a different neighborhood, right? Like you drive around. I have to imagine because I know when I was a volunteer fire chief in my town, you drive around with such pride. And I think when you're entrenched in the community and live in the community that you work in or volunteer in, you have this unbelievable sense of pride for the community in which you work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No denying that at all. Yeah, that's cool. So take me back 23 years ago when you when you applied for Yuba City. What did that look like back then and how much has the department changed and, and all of that? I mean, what, what, did, what did that look like? So, yeah, so um... – I got hired in April of 2000. Um, it was, I'd been on a list for a couple years. Um, the list was about to expire. We had a guy leave the department to go back to Cal Fire where he came from in the first place. He lateraled back as a captain. So a position came open the last week of my list. So they kind of ran me through another quick little chief's interview to see if I had, you know, changed or better or worse, whatever the case may be. And I got a job offer and I was ecstatic. Nice. Um, we're, we're not a big department, um, still not a big department, but back then we were the big fish in the little pond, if you will. Sure. Every, everything else was one station, um, you know, rural or county type department. This was this first, the only true city department of our size in the region. And um, man, I just, I, I was excited. So got hired. We were three stations with um a daily staffing of eight people we had three engines with two guys on it mm. and a little rescue squad out of station one as a second company with two guys on it you know kind of yeah. like the old donnie and roy days nice um and yeah you know um i don't know back then we probably ran i don't know maybe 3,500 to 4,000 calls a year. Got it. So nothing, nothing crazy, pretty small, you know, um, we did our fair share of fire duty, nothing yeah. like a, a big city, but you know, the nice thing about a small department is if there's a fire, everybody gets to go. It's well, not like, it. Oh yeah, there was three fires in the city yesterday and I didn't turn a wheel. Yeah. Uh, happens to so many people. We know it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so in, go um, ahead. in, in 2001, um, there was surrounding the city and actually a few islands of property within the city were protected by a fire protection district, a little two station fire protection district. And um, through annexation and a park of all things to drive this, this political action, a, a community park, um, the county was not a, was going to have to stop maintaining this park which was one of the biggest parks in the area right. and so the community decided well let's annex into the city and let the city take care of the park so as a result of that um we began talks and in september of 01 in fact september 10th the day before the attacks um we merged with the walton fire protection district so we gained um, two more firehouses overnight. So we went from three stations to five stations. We moved some people around and basically we turned into a, a fire station with, uh, I'm sorry, a fire department with five, five, two man engine companies. And at the time they promoted three guys to captain two. 
to mm. kind of handle the shift supervision, and though they ultimately became battalion chief for a year or two later. Got it. Okay. So growth, and then today, twenty three years later, what does it look like today versus the day you walked in the door? So we uh, we proceeded to slowly upstaff our engines mm. to three bodies, um, thanks to grants and and everything else, and some political support from council. Um, so we ran five three-man engines for off and on many years. Um, sometimes there were three. Occasionally we would drop down to two because funding would go away or they would try to do some different things. Uh, they got creative. They had ICMA come in and do a feasibility study, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners have dealt with that. Yeah. Um, and they they suggested a little QRF vehicle. So they took two firemen off of two engines and put them on a rescue squad again. Um, kind of a step backwards, yeah. right? It was all smoke and mirrors. Hey, look, we just added another company. We've got six companies now. But yeah, we still have the same number of people. So right. Um, so we we finally got good staffing. Well, good staffing for the area. We got five three man engines permanently, and um, just two weeks ago, we uh, we downstaffed an engine mm. and upstaffed a quint. Okay. With four bodies. So today, our current configuration, our staffing model is four three man engines. A four-man quint okay. and a battalion. Wow! So our daily our daily staffing is is sixteen plus a battalion. I do love a command staff that's willing to try different things, and yeah, I have to absolutely. think. Yeah, but then you have to get the buy-in from the union, right? Yep. And and then not only the official buy-in, but then all the grumblings that go with it and the trial and error that comes with trying something different, but it takes courage and it takes uh commitment to, to affect change. So absolutely. Yeah, no, it does. So, and it's a step mm-hmm. in the right direction. You know, do I, do I think a Quint is necessarily the best fire service model? No, but is it going to work for us in the time being? Absolutely. We sure. have no choice. We have to make it work. You That's know, right. it's going to work. That's right. And listen, it wasn't built overnight either. Right. And so, you know, yeah, changing the model, you got to prove it. And as you prove the model and and tweak and make some changes as you go, you find the right model that works best. I think that's great. Um, So let me guess that Quint's then doing engine company work first do second do, and then it's be, it's a truck primarily the rest of it. Yeah. So it's stationed at our, our uh, firehouse three down the South side of the city, which is, we, we basically, the city's kind of broken down by a major highway into the east side and west side. Okay. Um, the east side companies, there's three companies on the east side. They're by far much busier than the two west side companies. Got it. Um, and the second dupe engine to, to threes is, is pretty close. So um, we're still playing with all the nuances that, oh, you're an engine, oh, you're a truck. Yeah, but right. basically... Um, yeah, if they're first due and going to be first due for quite a while, they're going to operate as they're an stretching. engine. Yeah. Um, if, if the second due engine is a block or two away sure. and they think they, they can go straight to truck work and wait for the engine for, you know, 30, 45 seconds, then they'll operate as a truck. Otherwise, if they're second due, they're, they're full on truck. Yep. Got it. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And the nice thing is too, you get to, you get to have the ability to call that audible when needed. So works out works out pretty well. 
Um, talk to me a little bit then about the training aspect, right? Because as I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm envisioning a department that is in a position where they're excited to affect change. They're trying different things. They're allowing uh, different types of models or or um, ideas to to come to fruition. You're, I know, very passionate about training. Um, that's where you and I've met along the training circuit many years ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're affiliated with on-scene training. Um, you've taught at FDIC. You teach at different conferences. Where did the whole love for training come from? Was that something that was ingrained to you from those early days of the volunteer company, or did that something that you found over time that was important to you? So I, uh, when I first volunteered, um, you know, I volunteered for my hometown department, and then the next community over where my high school was, I volunteered there as well. Okay. Um, and they had a, a career officer at that neighboring department that anytime you walk through the door, he would say, okay, what do you want to train on? Let's go train. Nice. And so he was always about, um, you know, going out and doing stuff. And he would always stop what he was doing anytime we would walk in. Mm. So it didn't matter if he was down reports or there was anything needed to be done. He would stop what he was doing and um, we'd go out and train. And so that really instilled with me the importance of training with guys to make sure we get better. And it was funny because, you know, some of the things we would train on seemed so obscure at the time, you know, just a young fireman, I didn't know any better. And then lo and behold, we'd run an incident where that training kicked in. And yeah. so that really, really made an impact. Um, as far as the, the training and, and getting out and doing different things, um, you know, ultimately I owe it all to the fools. Okay. Um, I, I joined the, the local fools chapter, which was NorCal fools at the time. Uh, it just transitioned from the Sacramento fools, which was entirely Sac city firemen and, um, in O2, I believe they they opened it up to outside agencies and Got being it. only 45 minutes away from Sacramento. Um, I had seen a bunch of stuff, you know, this was back in the days of forums and all that stuff on the sure. internet. Um, really got to know a lot of those people through the forums, but never actually met them in person. So uh, joined the NorCal Fools, met a bunch of those guys down there. We started doing a bunch of training and, it, you know, it was it was the fools that were teaching all these trainings locally, you yeah. know, and we'd go and we would do live burn trainings and we would do stuff. You know, I went down for a training as a student and, um, Timmy Klett and Mike Lombardo and Dave Franklin, and, you know, all these big names were being hosted by this one particular, well, I'll just say Dixon fire down, you know, about an hour south of us, mm -hmm. um, the Dixon fire chief and the Dixon, Dixon assistant chief had, um, been kind of logistical support for FDIC West when they came out to Sacramento. Yep, so, got it. so these guys at Dixon Fire, they met all these big instructors and and convinced them all to come out and put on some classes. So, you know, I'm taking classes in Podung Dixon with Bob Pressler and Lombardo and you know all these different guys, and it's like, wow, this is cool. You yeah, know? yeah. So in 2006, I went to my first Fools convention. Okay. And that was in Chicago. And that's where I met Aaron Heller and Richie Stack and yeah. Bart Simpson and Dave Gallagher and all these guys, you know, and we just hit it off. You know, we really did. So I kept taking classes and I kept seeing the same faces and, and all that stuff. Um, and then um, 
man, I don't even remember what year it is. I apologize. No, you're um, fine. Mike Gilbert from Fools International called me one day and said, hey, look, the founding fools want to give the reins to its first e-board. Hmm. And we would like you to come be the vice president of the Fools International. Very cool. So, you know, that opened all kinds of doors for me as well. So, I mean, I'm just so blessed. And it, I really, I owe everything in my career to just so many people, to, you know, to way too many to mention. But the Fools really had a major, major impact on my career. But it took you wanting more and doing more to find those channels. Right. And I can't like stress that enough because like the, the relationships, not just the hands-on training, but the relationships and friendships that come out of it. Right. I mean, it's, it is, uh, you can't even, you can't even measure it in the value aspect of how important those relationships become because those people, the people you listed times, all the other people that had so much to do with your upbringing through the fire service, like you, you can't measure that. You know what I mean? Like, it's Correct. just, it's overwhelming. This episode's brought to you by Teledyne FLIR. Teledyne FLIR is the originator and creator of thermal imaging technology. In 2013, FLIR launched the K-Series camera for the public safety sector, in particular firefighting. They have created cameras over the last 10 years for every position on the fire ground, from tactical to situational, their cameras help us make the right decisions on the fire ground. So check out Teledyne Fleer, check out their product offerings and engage them on their social media and ask them for more information and education in regards to their product. Teledyne Fleer is producing one of the best cameras on the market and they're a proud sponsor and partner of the National Fire Radio Podcast. So go over to www.fleer.com and look up the public safety file and you'll find the latest offerings from Teledyne Fleer. So you became vice president of the international for the fools, which is just yep. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I did five years at that position. Um, and, and you know, it was time to, to pass it on to somebody else and let somebody else run with it. But the relationships didn't end, you know, yeah. um, things kept going and moving in the right direction. And shortly, you know, during that time, um, Aaron Heller says, Hey, I got a class out in New Jersey. I want you to come out and and give me a hand. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, Oh, it's engine work. You'll, you'll do just fine. So it's, it's next thing I know I'm in, you know, the outskirts of new Egypt and I'm teaching an engine class with Aaron and Stevie Gillespie, which that was the first day I've ever met Stevie Gillespie, which is just what a a gentleman. God, (laughs) I love it. I love it. So I, the, the experiences, man, like it's, you know, you, you say you're blessed. We all are. Um, but I'm a firm believer. We make, we make our paths and, um, you know, and so on. So there's a lot in you, that internal push to be bigger and better, right. And to better yourself. Right. And so is that when that was the lead in then to start to teach and understanding that, Hey, you know, I've, I've been doing this a while now. I got a, I got a handle on a few of these things. I think I can share this love for the job with others? Yeah. You know, I mean, probably just before that, um, I got asked to come out and be, uh, an instructor's assistant at our local college. Um, they had just started a, a state certified firefighter one Academy through the, through the local college. So I was going out there probably once or twice a week, sharing my, my knowledge and experience there. So that, that probably 
kick-started my desire to teach, right? Is seeing all these these 18-year-old kids, myself at the time, probably only being 25 or 26, right. but seeing these 18-year-old kids, they're just hungry for knowledge. And um, doing all that really probably sparked the most and realized that I, I was making a difference by, by sharing what I had learned from others, you know? And that's the one thing, man, this, this fire service, we always say, you know, knowledge is power, but it's only power if you share it. If you if you rat hole that knowledge and keep it to yourself and say, oh, look at me, I'm I'm the super smart, very aggressive, very smart firefighter, but you don't share it, man. You're just a mutt. You're not you're not powerful. You uh -huh. know, you got to You got to share it. And um, sharing it at the college definitely lit a fire in me that I wanted to do more. Bear with me. I'm writing that down. You got yeah, to share it. I agree with you. I think too many people are afraid to put themselves out there and, and pay it forward, pass it forward. I, I find uh, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. Like when I travel to these conferences and I talk with guys and, you know, we run in all these different circles and I explain to guys, I'm like, give it away, give it away, give it away. And it will come back. I promise you. You know, and Absolutely. it's people are very protective sometimes of of their experience and their knowledge. And um, I'm a firm believer that the more you give, the more you you can get in return. And um, and so you know, when it comes to sharing the knowledge about the job and your experiences, you know, we need to give that away. That's the only way we can push this job forward and educate the next generation. Super super important. The the values of the fools. The training aspect of it, I mean, it's the Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society. It was based upon people, right? I, I had um, uh, Walt Lewis on not too long ago, and we were chatting about yeah. the foundations of that, of when it occurred, literally, like, the formation of it in their backyard when they were talking about it, you know? Yep. And when you when you think about those conversations, and it's just like-minded people that were like, hey, I think more people would be interested. Let's formalize something and do this. The mission of it is based upon training and then the brotherhood and the camaraderie of it. I know for you, training is important, but I also know that looking out for one another is massively important, right? Taking care of our own, being there for our own. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of that. Yeah, you know, so it it really is, and that's, I mean, there's so many layers to that onion, right? I mean, it's, I know <laughs> it's, as, it's, as, it's a simple, yeah, of course you do. It, it's, it's as simple as, you know, helping a guy out at the firehouse that's, you know, going to be an hour late because his wife is sick and now he's got to run his kids to school. And, you know, just trying to take that stress off of that individual, you know, by saying, Hey man, don't worry about it all. You know, I'll slide into your seat for an hour and just take care of your family, do what you got to do. And when you get here, you get here, you know, it, something as simple as that, or, you know, being there for that phone call that unfortunately we all wish we would get, I mean, we don't want to get it, but we all wish we would get that phone call to talk somebody down off the edge, yeah. you know? Um, I, I know I speak for a, a lot of the guys with on scene and, and others, you know, we've, we've lost way too many friends, brothers to suicide over the last 10 years, way too many. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the mental health aspect is huge and I, I just wish we could do more. You know, everybody always says, well, if they just would have called me, the simple fact is they're not going to call you. You yeah. know, if they're going to do something like this, their mind is already made up. Um, they're not going to call you because they don't want somebody to talk them out of it. 
Um, it's just, it's so unfortunate. Um, you know, the first one started with our, our good friend from Sac, uh, Sac City Fire, Billy Lewis, on Valentine's Day several years ago. Mm. Um, as much as I hate to say it, that wasn't a surprise. You know, he had gone through some really rough patches. He'd been out on mental health leave for for a while and come back. And I talked to him a couple times prior to his suicide, and he just didn't seem happy, you know. Yeah. Um, but still, it doesn't make it any easier, you know. I mean, sure. to think of his, his mom and dad and his sister and everybody and his roommates and it's just it's it's absolutely heartbreaking and we've lost so many more since then um it's just it's really tough you know it, it's it's so sad and unfortunate that 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 occurs but it's it's a real occurrence and it happens all the time it is i do um i do believe that we are talking about it more than we ever have um i think that we're you know trying to educate along the way but we have a long way to go at this yeah, um, for sure. You know, you've been, you know, you've been around, um, you know, a little bit longer than I have. And, and so, you know, um, things certainly are making their strides, but we know changing the fire service is not the easiest thing and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, and I just did an episode the other day where it was a lot of uh, mental health um, conversation and, you know, protecting our own, taking care of our own, looking for, you know, how we can do it. You mentioned a couple things, right? As simple as, a guy needs a few more minutes to take care of something with his family. And so, Hey, let me step in and switch over and, and cross the floor for you and take your seat for you. Take care of your family comes down past compassion, empathy. I mean, these are, these are things that are hard to teach, right? No, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're really kind of like ingrained in the human being that you are and understanding and buying into the people around you. Like, we, we started off this podcast where I was talking about how difficult is it for you to be in that chief's buggy because you're still a fireman. You like being a fireman. You like getting your hands dirty. You like going on air. Like, these are things that you still enjoy. But now in that position, you've promoted yourself into a position where, or, you know, you've been promoted into a position where now you take care of those that are taking care of you, right? Like, you work on behalf of your people. It's the same with off the fire ground in the firehouse. We still need to buy into our people and you have to be dialed in and you have to care and you have to be involved in their lives so that you understand when something might be askew. No. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You, you got to know your people, you know, you got to know your people, you got to know your friends, um, you know, and, and outside of work too. Right. I mean, we, we've all got those friends that we worry about, um, Sure and to, the best thing we can do is just, you know, check in on them every now and then, make sure they're doing okay. See if they want to go grab a bite for lunch, you know, just the, the little things really, really help in the long run. Make an effort. It takes effort. It takes work. Friendships are two way streets, man. And too often we take, 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 and we're not given and we need to give more than we take. And I think that's maybe how we can affect some change on this and at least, spark some conversations with people that might need just a, a lift up that day, you know, and yeah, it's to absolutely. be involved. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, men of fire motorcycle club that you're involved with. That's gotta be, um, one. I know you love your wife cause I fo follow you on social media and I see you guys love to travel. You guys love to do a lot of things together, all these different things and your family. I know you're very family oriented. That motorcycle club's important to you. Is that in, in regards to mental health? Is that a way for you to kind of unplug from the job and unplug from reality and go for a ride? Absolutely. Talk, Absolutely. Talk to me about how important that is to you. So I, I guess I really didn't realize it um, 
until one day I just, I happened to be out on a ride and this was long before I, I joined up with the Minifire, I'm sorry, Minifire Motorcycle Club. Um, just went out for a ride and stopped at one of my old volunteer departments and, you know, hanging out with the paid guys there, having a cup of coffee and was just about to leave. And they, they toned out for a vehicle accident on a, a, a surface street, fairly high speed surface street where they've had a lot of, a lot of wrecks there. And I told them, I said, Hey, I'll just follow you guys. If, if you guys need help, I'll stop and help. And if you don't, then I'll just keep on moving and I'll head home. So I followed the engine and as soon as we rounded the corner onto the street, we're still probably a mile from the accident location and traffic to the standstill. So I, I knew it was probably a legit wreck. Yeah. So I, I tucked in behind the engine on my motorcycle. I followed him into the scene and um, it was a pretty significant head on. And um, <laughs> it's funny, I'm talking about this and just kind of thinking about it. Um, so there's one vehicle on the side and another vehicle with an ejection and turns out it's a double fatal mm. and in the rollover is a, a an infant sitting in the car seat mm. crying which we know with kids that they're crying that's a good thing yeah so because i don't have any gear on i i can't perform the extrication so i just pop in the back of this suv and um as they're getting ready to start doing extrication i looked at command i said i think i can just pop the seat belt the kid is still, you know, in the, in the, the seat. car seat. Yeah. I think, you know, before we go through all this other stuff, let me get this kid out of here. So I, I undid the seatbelt, handed the, the baby out through the back of the SUV. They, uh, they flew the kid out and, um, the baby's mother was, was deceased in the front seat. Wow. And, um, as we started talking, we realized it was a girl I went to high school with. Oh God. Yeah. So, you know, that, that hits hard. And, and that's the the deal with with small towns, right? I mean, it, it's right. inevitable. I've run plenty of calls on people that I grew up with and went to high school with. My fire chief gives me a hard time all the time. Oh, how do you know him? Oh, he probably went to high school with him. But um, you know, I just I was in kind of a bad place there for ten or fifteen minutes while I was at a scene. I said, "Hey, it's time to go. I'm supposed to meet my wife for lunch. I'm going to get out of here." Yeah. And uh, I hopped on my motorcycle and I rode to the restaurant. And, um, the difference between when I got on my bike and when I got off my bike, my head was clear. I didn't have that pit in my stomach or that, mm. you know, that burning in my stomach. I just, I, I, I felt good. I mean, I was still, you know, obviously sad that a friend of mine had just passed away and her baby was being flown to a trauma center. But, um, you know, I, I, that, that bike ride, that 10 minute motorcycle ride was so therapeutic for me that. I was hooked. That was my first bike. Um, I've bought several bikes since then. Yeah. God bless yeah. my wife. Um, and anytime I have a bad day, I just come home. And that's the beautiful thing about being in California. You can ride year round. That's right. Um, we don't have snow or ice. So even if it's raining, if I have a bad day, I hop on my bike and I go for a ride. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, I joined the Minifire Motorcycle Club about seven years ago. Um, we have a local chapter, the Sac Valley chapter. There's four chapters in, um, California and a bunch in other states as well. And it's just a great group and it's, a, it's a different group, right? We don't, we're all, it, it's a professional firefighter club. Um, we don't allow any, anybody in if they're not either current or retired, um, professional motor, uh, sorry, professional firefighters. So we talk fire, but we talk motorcycles. We talk 
you know, whiskey, we talk cigars, sure. we talk about stuff other than the job, which is really, really nice. It's needed. And it, it is. It's needed. So it's it's definitely my out. It's definitely my my therapy. Um, you know, I hopped on my bike last week and just went for a hundred mile ride just to go. And I wasn't even having a bad day. Nice. Man, did I feel good when I got back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I never, uh, I never got into the two wheel therapy. I, I never owned a motorcycle, um, you know, and so on. And, uh, I don't know in my area if I, if I'd want to, to be honest, um, a sure. lot of people, a lot of people do, but I can understand that. But I think what's important about that is recognizing that you need something to take your mind off of or clear those clear those thoughts when you have a bad day. And, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, so many so many people they they resort to other stuff. You know, they self medicate yeah. whether it's booze or drugs That's or, right. or whatever. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I love a good drink. I get um, it. You know, but sure, but that's not my go-to when I'm having a bad day. You know, honestly, that's my go-to when I'm having a good day. Man, I'm having a great day. Life is wonderful. Let's let's celebrate a little bit and have a couple drinks. Yeah, excuse me, have a couple drinks. But I, I never, I've never resorted to the bottle when I'm having a bad day. I always resort to the motorcycle, and it just really seems to help. Yeah, no, I get that, man. I get that. I'm actually kind of jealous of it. And I sit back and I think about like, what are my vices? Like, how do I check out for a little bit? Right. And I don't, I don't know. I'm still working on that. I think I need a hobby. I just don't have enough time for a hobby at the moment. So yeah, you're way too busy, man. Uh, National fire radio was supposed to be a hobby. And then, uh, well, let me tell you something. It's uh, the busiest (laughs) hobby. Yeah. It's, it's consuming is what it is. Uh, But I get to do this. But I will say, I appreciate you talking about that and sharing that story with us because it does put a lot in perspective. Um, You also bring up another good point, too, is the compassion of a small town. Um, You know, we all have compassion for the people we serve, whether we know them or we don't, strangers or people. But when when you're cut from that small town cloth, there is something about when you hear an address or you pull up and you recognize that car or the or the house that you're at and you know it's so-and-so's parents or it's so-and-so that I know through church or down the street or from high school years ago. There's, there's just that added level, right, of like extra care almost, right, like extra, extra concern. And um, I want to – the reason why I'm kind of taking it this way is it's that small town theme is very important. I think it is. Um, and guys can have that in very large jobs too. It's more, um, you know, neighborhood oriented, right? Like you talk about guys in New York city, it's such a large job, but every neighborhood is unique and special to itself. And the fire company typically represents that neighborhood, right? So you can have it on a very large scale, but it also happens all the time in a, in a smaller department, right? Smaller town Absolutely. for you. Um, the reason why I'm trying to, trying to find a segue into this conversation is you were awarded, um, many years ago in 2010. 10, the Ray Downey Courage and Valor Award from uh, Penwell at the time, which fire engineering at FDIC. And the Ray Downey Award is uh, awarded, I think, each year uh, to a recipient from the from the United States and the fire service that exemplifies the very best in valor and courage while on or off duty. Um, and on top of that, the same for the same uh, incident, you were awarded the California State Firemen Association Medal of the Medal of Valor, which I'm sure is a very prestigious award in California as well. And so, you know, I know guys don't like to talk about themselves much, but I do want to I do want to um, discuss this real quick because I have to think that this was a 
very significant event in your fire service career in which you affected an incredible outcome. Um, and, and then you were recognized for it, which I think is ultimately what needed to, needed to be done, whether you agree with that or not. It's important. It's important to recognize those that go above and beyond. And so um, just to talk about that story a little bit, um, you were passing by. You were off duty, correct? Yeah. So, again, you know, it goes back to the whole living where you work, working where you exactly. live type deal. Exactly. Um, so that was January of 09. Um, we were still doing routine shift and station rotations. The fire chief would basically once, or I should not the fire chief, let me back up. That sounds horrible. Administration on an annual basis would look at the, the personnel and they would move them as they saw fit. Got it. So basically that would occur usually around um, December, January each year. So I had just been reassigned to a new house. So I worked my last shift at my former house um, a, a day before or two days before, something like that. And I wanted to go start moving all of my crap from one house to the other. So um, I was driving into my old firehouse. I was maybe, I don't know, five or six blocks from my, my home. Hmm. Uh, I, I had just driven past my children's grade school. And it was still, you know, the sun was pretty low and, uh, I saw what I thought was steam coming from a two-story, um, supposed to be a single family dwelling, but it had been illegally converted upstairs to a single, single room apartment upstairs. Um, as I got closer, I noticed the steam wasn't actually steam, but smoke. So I, I pulled over, um, another lady pulled over. Um, she went and knocked on the downstairs door and I saw a door upstairs. So I, I ran upstairs real quick and knocked on the door and had no answer. Um, about that time I heard some bottles break and a woman started screaming and I looked behind me and running down the road was a mother and, uh, Spanish speaking only. She started screaming, me niñas, me niñas, me niñas. I'm not very good at Spanish, but I was pretty sure that meant my kids, my yeah, babies. Right. So she hauled ass up the stairs and uh, opened the door and got met with, you know, heat and smoke pushing out the, the door. So I, I pushed her off to the side and I went in. Um, not a whole lot of heat, but definitely zero visibility. Um, I, I went in, did a real quick primary search, and I was able to find one child um laying on the bed so i came out with the kid thinking okay this is great i just made a grab conscious um uh yeah okay conscious coughing um handed him to mom thinking everything was good and then she started screaming uno mas uno mas yeah well i definitely know what that means because that's how we order another bar another beer at the bar so (laughs) yeah i was like oh shit you know so um went back in searched the bed again thinking that if one was in there, they're both, they were both on the bed. Um, Couldn't find anything. And as I'm deciding to get out, because now fire's starting to roll over the top of my head a little bit. Oh shit. Yeah. um, I hear a, just the faintest cough up by the headboard. Um, And I say headboard, there was no headboard, the head of the bed. Right. Um, And there was a little gap between the wall and the mattress. And I just happened to stick my hand down and I felt a foot. Oh my God. And there was an 18 month old that had rolled off the bed or or maybe the three year old pushed her off the bed. I'm not sure, but um, found a foot, grabbed it, 
Oh my God. Crawled out as quick as I could. And, um, that was that, you know, I wow. went downstairs. Um, the, the funny thing is, is, and, and I get this question all the time, you know, I, I had turnout gear in my, in my truck, Sure, but I wasn't intending on going in for a rescue. That's right. You know, I, I just went up, I just went up to notify <laughs> people, Hey, you got an attic fire, you know, thinking it was an attic fire. Right. Um, and so I, I came back down and the, fortunately, um, I, I was there and I don't, I don't say that lightly cause I'm not trying to sound, you know, no, like, I, oh, I get it because of me, but the, the first due engine was a, the firehouse was a block and a half from the house, but we were doing our annual physicals at headquarters. So that fire engine was clear across town. Yeah. So I had time before um, I called 911 when I first saw the smoke. I had time to go in and, and get those two kids come out, get dressed, and get a radio to give an update to the incoming battalion that, you know, we needed two ALS ambulances, blah, blah, blah. We had a working fire before the first due engine even arrived. Right. So had had myself or anybody else not gone in to get those kids it would have been a just a, a, a tragic outcome. tragic outcome yeah that's incredible brother that's absolutely incredible the conditions didn't sound great either so i mean it was only i mean it was just getting worse and worse so man good bravo man truthfully like and not only that but to find Jesus, if you think about that, just the the little gap between the mattress, like, and this is this is searching very early on in this incident, right? And like, you think about that when you take that to the training ground. Now that you have that experience and know what that felt like, and in, in to search such a small gap between an eighteen month old can probably fit within a four or five inch gap, right? Like, brother. Well done. So it, it, it's well it's done. funny it's funny you say that. So two weeks ago, I was just down in Florida. My wife and I went out. Um, my best friend, who I, I believe you met Earl um, at FDIC two years ago. Okay. He just moved, he just moved down to Melbourne, Florida. So um, the guys with the Treasure Coast Fools do their mm-hmm. their Treasure Coast taught every year, and they've they've told me for years I've got an open invite. They just can't pay me anything. So it's always hard to justify sure. with your wife sure, a, sure. a flight to Florida and everything else. But <laughs> the, the nice thing is, is when we go, I can take her with me and we can visit Earl. Absolutely. So That's cool. Went out to Treasure Coast taught two weeks ago and I helped uh, Jenny Grima with yeah. her search class. And um, when I would take the, the infant mannequin in there, I would put them between the wall and the bed. Yeah. And I would tell the students afterwards, you know, hey, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm, I'm just telling you that I have physically found a child in this exact position. So yes. if you think that you're not going to find them there when you do your search, your primary on the bed, think again. If there is just the slightest gap between the wall and the mattress, there's a chance there's something down there. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I, I'm blown away by this story. And you know what? Without, you know, any thought of your own safety or protection, you went in and did what you were supposed to do. And uh, bravo, man. I That's why I didn't really know the whole story. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. And in fact, I didn't even know. You know, we've known each other for a few years now, and I had no idea. And then I don't know where it came from. I was looking something up, and I was reading through, like, who was awarded the Valor Awards, the, the um, what you call it, the Ray Downey Valor Awards. And I, I'm reading down, and all of a sudden I see Eric Hankins, and I go, 
there's only one Eric Hankins. Like, there can't be another Eric <laughs> Hankins. And I'm like, I never knew this story about you, you know? And that is... Yeah, um, it, was, it was a good day. It was a good day. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. You know, I don't do church. Obviously I have my faith and I believe in God, but I'm not a religious person, but I truly, truly believe that God put me there at that time for a reason. For a reason. Absolutely, man. And, um, you know, all your training and fortitude paid off and that, that moment right there, you literally saved two children's lives and that's fantastic, brother. Well done, man. Really well done. So, listen, this has been a great conversation. What is next for Battalion Chief Eric Hankins? What's what's on the horizon? What are you doing? You got anything fun and exciting happening? What's what's next? You know what? Right now, everything's kind of status quo. Okay. It's, been a, it's been a busy last six, eight months with on scene and the fire department and everything else. Yeah. Um, we're kind of transitioning, although with all the, the rain and snow, I, I'm not sure what did kind that of fire have, Did that affect you? Be. Was that it, was yeah it, okay. it definitely did for 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 good right we've been in a drought for oh, a couple yeah. of years a pretty serious drought and um, I don't know if officially the drought is over because politics will be politics but um, I, we're definitely looking really really good but this is the time of year that I typically don't book any trips or anything like that because we're pretty heavily involved in the state mutual aid system. You know, we, we do the big campaign forest fires and stuff right. like that on mutual right. aid deployments. So okay. I try to keep my, my summers open so I can take as much advantage of that as possible. Sure. Opportunity. I will say this about the drought, man. It's wild to see some of those before and after photos, photos from last year till this year, right? After all this snow melt and the rain and the snow that you guys had. I mean, some, oh, of, these, some of these lakes are back to like capacity. Yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily paid attention when I was younger. Right. But, you know, like like Lake Shasta, which is two hours north of me, um, it's at capacity. Looked like I a moonscape, right? Like it literally yeah, went it, from the exactly. moon to full. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's a it's just an unreal size reservoir. And um, I don't know that I've ever seen it full <laughs> in my 46 years of living. It's wild. Yeah, so it's, cool. it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation with you today. Um, yeah, me too, bro. Yeah, it was really good. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your story with us. And uh, Absolutely. Look forward to crossing paths with you again. And um, thanks. I mean, it's just, it's this is what I, I thoroughly enjoy what I get to do. And I, I get to sit down with cool dudes and just talk shop and, and just learn your story. And it, it makes a difference for me that the next time I get to see you and share a beer with you or, or, or share some brown liquor, um, you know, it, it, it's a little bit deeper now because we share a moment like this. So it Absolutely. just means the world, man. Thank you very much for uh, spending some time with me today, man. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure, bro. Thank you so much for the invite. I truly appreciate it. I had a great time. Anytime. Good. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast and then uh, I'll come right back to you. Okay. Fantastic. Cool. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Battalion Chief Eric Hankins out of Yuba City, or the city of Yuba City, California, Northern California, 30 years in the fire service, 23 with the city, doing great things, affecting change in that battalion chief position. It matters. And, uh, well, anyway, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it, because when we talk about the job, we are making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.